This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, uh, again, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Church of the Harvest. Uh, as I always say, we're, guys, we're just part of a f- the family of Christ followers. And uh, the Lord has brought us together. And we recognize that we are stronger together than we are individually. And so we have chosen to link arms and to accomplish God's purposes in the earth together. Uh, Those of you who are new here, uh, guys, we gather in our community in small groups throughout the week. As a matter of fact, this is just a small part. Uh, We looked at the numbers yesterday. We have significantly more people that are meeting in small groups and homes throughout the week each week than we do here on Sunday morning. But I don't know about you, but we still love this time when we all are able to come together and to worship the Lord corporately. Amen? At Harvest, we're just a small expression of the body of Christ. We love God. Because we love God, we love people, and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. Guys, for the last couple of years, we've been pounding in the vision. If you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? It's to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. For a while now, we have been discussing our identity. How many of you know identity is so important? If as a body of Christ we understood our identity, the world would be a very different place than it is today. But we've been talking about our identity and the responsibility of Christ followers. What is a Christ follower? A Christ follower is someone who has repented, turned from their old way of living, their old life, and chosen, surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, and chosen to follow him with their life. Since the first of the year, we started talking about priorities. And we started off talking about the importance of taking care of our spirit, our soul, and our body. As a body of Christ, we love to talk about our spirit, but to do what God has called us to do in the earth, our soul and our body are just as important. Amen? we got to take care of those things. We talked about the importance of knowing what our priorities should be and then making sure that those priorities are in the right order. Now, you know, order is so important because we serve a God of order. And then we talked about putting first things first, making sure that our actions actually line up with our values and that our actions line up with the values of the Word of God. And so one of our biggest priorities here at Harvest is absolutely community. And, you know, we, we, we know that we were created to be loved God by God. We were created for relationship. We were created for fellowship. And so this is something that we need to talk about. So we've been talking about our relationships, relationships in our lives, and, and what, what does this look like, and what is our responsibility in relationships? And so a few weeks ago, I started uh, this new series that I called uh, The Blessing of Parenthood. How many of you parents say it is a blessing to be a parent? How many of you say most of the time? Some of you are like, sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. It's always a blessing. And and as I said previously, you know, if if you're not a parent, you you don't check out during this because there's, there's a lot you can learn through it. It's very clear in the Word of God that all of us have responsibility in the body of Christ to be, to be investing in and, and mentoring and in training the next generation, those, those coming up behind us. So you may never be a parent biologically, but you have been called to be a spiritual father. You've been called to be a spiritual mother. There is a great lack of spiritual mothers and fathers in the body of Christ today, and unfortunately, the church of Jesus is reflecting that. We have to make a change, right? And so I just encourage you through this series just to, just to listen and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit what it is that he's speaking to you individually. 
A few weeks ago, I told you uh, on week one that the most important priority of a parent is to train up their child in the ways of the Lord and to gradually transfer their child's dependence from the parent to God until they're no longer dependent on the parent, but they are fully dependent on God, on the Father. We talked about, that first week, we talked about the top two priorities of a parent. The first thing I told you was to simply love God. The Bible tells us in this that the greatest thing that you can do, the greatest thing you can do in your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then what you do as a, as a leader, as a parent, you, you lead from that position. You guide from that position of you yourself first loving the Lord with all of your heart. And the second thing I told you, second top priority is to truly lead, is to lead your family. People don't want to lead today because they don't want to be accountable and they don't want to be responsible for their actions as they lead. But God has honored you with a great task. Whether you're a parent or whether you're leading somebody, mentoring somebody, he has given you a great responsibility and he's given you everything you need in order to accomplish that successfully. And so we understood that our children are not to lead us. They are not to lead our home, right? That's, that's our job, right? That's our job. And so we, as, we, as we love the Lord and as we lead our families intentionally, our children will slowly but surely, will see their dependence transfer from us until they are fully dependent upon God. And then week two, we just simply, we read the story of the, of the children coming to Jesus. How many of you remember that? We talked about that when Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And we, I gave you three important components in parenting or, or really in any relationship. And I, the, out of these three things, the first one I told you was loving touch. Appropriate loving touch that communicates unconditional love and affection. Our children are desperate for that. Now, the second thing I told you was quality time. You do have the time for what you make time for, right? That's the top thing you hear from people today is, well, I just don't have time. We do have time for what we make time for, and our children need lots and lots of time. And the last thing I told you a couple weeks ago was, was encouraging words. And the words we speak are so important, and our kids need to constantly be hearing how much we love them and how proud we are of them as our moms and dads. Amen? Here's my recap. So today I'm going to take it to the next level. Y'all ready? We're going to talk about an unpopular subject. That is the subject of discipline. Mm, dun, dun, dun. Discipline. We don't tend to like the word discipline a whole lot in this life. Uh, and, and those of you who have been parents, um, uh, discipline can be fun sometimes. Uh, it's a little easier when you've got one. How many of you have got one? You're just getting started. Bless your heart. No, no, just kidding. One is, I mean, it's, it's two on one. I mean, right? I mean, it's like, second child comes along. How, how many of you got two? Second child comes along, and now, what, what's that in basketball? Man-to-man? Uh, Man-to-man defense? You take her, I got him, right? And then the third one comes along. How many of you got three or more? You get them and I'll get them. You know, it's like, whatever. We just, you know, it's like, oh. It's important that we learn to discipline. And so the first thing we've got to do is determine what is discipline. What is godly discipline? And so this is in your notes, by the way. You can follow along with me. There's a, there's a, you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. If you hit more and hit uh, events, it'll automatically pop up on your mobile device. There's a QR code on the back of your chair. You can scan that and get to it. Um, or you can open up your Bible with me and take notes. But, um, but what is discipline? Discipline is correction 
motivated by love. Discipline is correction motivated by love. Do we discipline because we're trying to exert our authority and our power over our kids? No. Does any parent ever, I mean, I know, I know you, you think back to when you were a kid, and, and sometimes you looked at your parents like they were prison wardens, you know. But, but, but is that ever our intention as a parent? Of course not. Our discipline in their life is motivated from a place of love, right? Now, how many of you, most of us in here are believers, we're children of God. How many of you would say you know that you know that your Father God loves you? How many of you would say you know, you know, you know his love for you? Well, what does the Bible say about his love for us from the same position? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, you've heard this before. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So what's it say? It says, don't make light of the Lord's what? The Lord's discipline, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Because he disciplines those that he loves. It's correction motivated by love, and it's so important. I'm, I've got, I'm, I'm going to be jumping around. I, I know the last couple times I've, I've given you, we've been in one book, one chapter. I'm going to be jumping around today, so you can just kind of follow me. But Proverbs 19:18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Lord, have mercy. That's heavy. Parents, how many of you know that there is going to be a battle for who's in charge of the home? There's going to be a battle over the home. Why? Because <laughs> that's the way we're wired. That's part of the sin nature. Amen? That's our flesh. But you must not only win this battle, but you need to win it strongly and decisively. And here's the reality. If you're in a place in your home that you find yourself constantly nagging and yelling and bribing and threatening, I would argue that you're not winning the battle. The tide has to turn. And I would say in your home, if that's the case, it, it needs to turn today. Amen? And folks say, well, I don't want my kids to think I mean... And I just think they'll respond better if I'm their friend. Guys, I've heard that a lot of times. And it, can I just be brutally honest? It's selfish. It's selfish. What you did is you made parenting all about you and how you feel like your parents are going to view you. How your children are going, to, are going to view you. You're afraid they won't like you. And so because of that, you choose not to do the things that need to be done, the things that are required in their lives. Um, I, 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 this, maybe this is a light bulb moment from, from, for you, but your kids aren't always necessarily going to like you, right? Did you always like your own parents? You know? Discipline, disciplining your children is not about you. It's about your child. And I would argue that discipline is not something you do to them. Discipline is something you do for them. Zig Ziglar said, a child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. Discipline, correction motivated by love. So how do we discipline? I do want to give you a few things there, but I want to talk about another issue here first. And the issue I want to discuss for just a minute is 
undisciplined parents. How many of you would agree that that has been you before? You have been the undisciplined parent sometimes. Most of you didn't raise your hand. I'm going to give you some examples and you're going to see yourself. (laughs) Because I see myself in these examples. You will probably see yourself somewhere along the way in this. I'm going to give you three examples of, of, uh, of undisciplined parents. First one, I'm calling the super parent. Everybody say super parents. Always trying to save the day. These are parents that are trying, often trying to rescue their child from their consequences. Guys, little Timmy gets in trouble again. In swoops, super mom. It's okay, little Timmy. I'm on the way. I'm going to save you. It sounds like a great thing in our society today. And somehow as a parent, it, it makes our little heart just feel so happy that we were able to swoop in and be the hero in their life and save them again. But I would argue that it is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. How do you know if you're a super parent? Well, if your child forgot their lunch for the third time this week, And for the third time, you were late to work because you went all the way back home and got it and brought it back to the school. You're probably a super parent. And they're in college. No. (laughs) You're probably a super parent. You may, may, maybe this will be huge for you, but maybe you didn't know this, but they will not die if they miss a meal. And they might learn something. Right? Right? A super parent doesn't allow their child to face the consequences of their actions. But it's very, very important that we do allow them to face the consequences of their actions. Galatians 6, 7, you know this. It says, do not be deceived. Why? God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Guys, God created the system of laws in this world that includes consequences. You live according to the word, and there will be blessing. You step out from under the word and live for yourself, there will be consequences, right? People like to blame God when something bad happens in their life. God didn't, didn't rescue me from whatever, whatever. Well, actually, you did this yourself. It says it in the word. Don't do this or this will happen, right? But we want to blame God over it. No, it's just consequences, right? One of the greatest gifts you can give your child is the opportunity to face the consequences of their actions. Again, I know this is strong, but guys, you are not teaching your child the truth of God's word if you allow yourself to reap what your child has sown. You're not raising them in the ways of the Lord if you allow yourself to be the one that reaps the consequences of what they have sown. If your kid doesn't work in advance and get their science project done on time, you don't jump in the night of, the night before, and do it for them, right? And hopefully, maybe, they learn something along the way. They learn that if I don't prepare well, I'm probably not going to succeed, right? That's real world, isn't it? If you give your kid lunch money, here's your lunch money for the week, little Timmy, and he decides on Monday to go buy a new T-shirt instead, you don't decide on Tuesday, what, you spent all your lunch money? Well, you got to eat. Here's some more money. No, you better figure something out. I gave you lunch money, right? We can't save our children from their consequences because the day will come when you're not there for them 
and the real world is going to smack them in the face. And they're not going to be ready for it. Here's an idea that might even be a little controversial. You might have a kid that turns 16 and they come to you and they are eager to drive and they want a car. Many parents, the first thing they do is go out and spend $35,000 on a new car for them. Hmm. What if instead you said, wow, you need some money. Let me help you find a way to earn that. Right? Guys, our philosophy, now, I got to give lots of disclaimers in this series. Guys, again, we jacked it up along the way. Our philosophy was not always right. Okay, and, and, and so, and our philosophy may be different than yours, and that does not mean that yours is wrong, okay? Our, you know, part of our philosophy, we never bought our kids cars. We didn't do it. Um, most recently, Aaron, being our youngest, um, you know, he, uh, we told him that we would match whatever he was willing to put into a car himself. And he's worked hard for the last six months, and his 2011 Volkswagen Jetta is paid for, Right? Woo, yeah, he's styling. Put, put it in, what, what mode do you put it in? Um, sports mode. He's got sport mode. My 2011 Jetta. I was like, mm. <laughs> Guys, our kids always paid their insurance and gas. I, 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 I'm, not, I, I'm not saying you're wrong if you do otherwise. I'm just saying that this is one of the things in our philosophy that we talked about along the way. And we just decided that, you know, this is the real world and we wanted our kids to be ready for it and, and didn't want them to grow up with this mentality that, that they deserve to have everything handed to them. That they had to work and earn. Your kid gets a pet. You teach them how to care for that pet. You make it their responsibility. How many of you know there are consequences for owning a pet? Instead of being able to do something you want to, you've got to jump in sometimes. You've got to feed them. and You've got to get them water. And sometimes you've got to bathe them and vacuum up their hair. And when they puke on the rug, you've got to take care of that properly. And Guys, my parents made me go out once a week in the backyard and pick up all the dog poo, man. I mean, seriously. There's responsibility. There's consequences, Right? And, and you don't bail them out when they get tired of it. Or, or when the dog poops on the rug and the kid says, it stinks, I can't get that up. No, I'm, I'll show you one time how this works, but that's your responsibility, right? We teach them. We teach them. Super parents. I need to hit the other ones. Uh, second one I was talking about are the roller coaster parents. Up and, done, uh, up and down, never consistent. As parents, we've probably all been there at different points in times. We've, we've done this at times. Not providing consistent discipline. These kids are wondering where the lines and boundaries are because the lines and boundaries seem to always be moving. Or the kids are always, and, and what usually happens because of that is the kids are always pushing the lines and the boundaries because they're not firmly set in place. They're not consistent. They're, they're moving around. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Scripture doesn't say discipline them today, but don't worry about it tomorrow. Take the day off. We've got to be consistent in our discipline. We can't have it where there's a line here and a boundary here one day, and that line and boundary has moved the next day. Rules cannot be constantly changing and moving and being added to and taken away from. Rules rules not enforced one day, but enforced the next. 
And, and a lot of times when we're like this, one day we're like, I mean, we're like the, like, like the Gestapo. Nobody can do anything right in the house. And the next day we're leading the house like the, we're the cruise director for the love boat or something. And, and it's, it's this up and down and they don't know what to do or how to respond. And inconsistently, inconsistency can be frustrating. It can be infuriating. It can be dangerous. And I would say it can be quite damaging um, to, to our children and those that, we are, those that we are leading. And so that's the, the inconsistent parents. The last thing I want to mention is the divided parents. The divided parents. These are ones that are not unified. Guys, they don't walk in unity, and they're often disagreeing when it comes to the kids. And I will tell you, from, from years of working with young people, this is one of the most damaging things I see in the life of a kid, is parents who are not in unity when it comes to the kids. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? One of the most important things that we can do as parents is to agree to keep a unified stance, especially in front of our kids. Now, I mean, let's, you know, let's get real for a minute, real world. Kids can, kids can get pretty good at, at, at playing parents against each other, pitting them against each other when we allow them to, right? And, and you know, it's like... We look at it and, 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 you know, one kid comes to us and says, well, well, mom said I could go here, but you're saying no, and so you're so mean, and, you know, whatever it may be, or, or dad would have bought this for me, but you won't do it, and they're pitting parents against each other, and, they, and it's dividing them, right? If the parents allow them, that will, that will divide them. And then, obviously, things are further complicated when you bring something like, like divorce into the mix. As I would say this. You may not even like your ex at all, but I would tell you for the sake of your children, you have got to work together to have a unified stance with them, to stand together. And, 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 and blended families take this to a whole nother level because, guys, I've seen it before. A parent, two spouses, and they're talking, and one of the spouses says to the other, that's my kid. That is not your kid. That's your kid. And I'm going, whoa, Lord have mercy. Yikes. It's scary to me because, guys, the Bible says that when you get married, the two become one. Now, understand there's complications in this, and, and you're going to have to be careful and use wisdom. But the Bible says that there's two flesh, there, there, there's no more you and me, yours and mine. That's why I personally, no, I don't want to stir the pot too much. I, I, I personally don't even like it when I hear spouses talking about my money and her money. I'm like, I, guys, I, if it works for you and, and whatever else, I, I just, for me, working with marriages a lot, I, to me, I see it as a dividing line where, it's, it should, where the Bible has called it one. Uh, if it works for you, I just, I just see it as a place of potential conflict and issue. But the Bible says that when you get married, two become one flesh. There's no more yours or mine. And, and so it becomes our responsibility to raise the kids, and it becomes our responsibility to keep a unified stance in front of them. Again, as a blended family, you, you're going to have to be cautious. You're probably going to need some counsel and some godly advice and some direction and seek the Holy Spirit and how to deal with certain things a certain way, but you work together to keep a unified stance. And if you do, as parents, if you do disagree with each other, which you will, right? You will disagree when it comes to the kids sometimes, right? Then you do it behind closed doors. 
And I mean where they can't even hear you, right? Um, and in front of the kids, you stand together unified. You don't show weakness or division because they will take you out, right? So parents, if you're, you're sitting there and your spouse tells the kids to do something, tells one of the kids to do something, and they are not complying, you don't keep watching the football game. You turn away and you immediately back up your spouse and let your kids see that you are standing together, you are unified, and you support your spouse. As parents, we've probably all been guilty of this at different times at some point along the way, but we got to be careful that we keep a unified stance um, no matter what when it comes to the kids. So, undisciplined parents, spend enough time on that. Any of you see yourself through your life at different points along the way in that sometimes, some places? Yep, three of us, awesome. Um, guys... So I'm going to give you three tips when it, comes to, um, when, it, when it comes to disciplining our children, okay? So number one, when it comes to disciplining our children, firstly, you got to clearly express your expectation of cheerful obedience. And I added this the first time. Everybody say the first time. What kind of obedience? Cheerful. When do we expect it? The first time. What does Colossians 3.20 say? Colossians 3.20. It says... Children, obey your parents when they've warned you over and over and over and over and over and over again. No. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now look at what this talks about. When we, when we break this down, why are they, why are children to obey their parents? Why is that? What's it say? Because it pleases the Lord. So, that is the motivation. That is why we discipline them. That is why we push them in that direction. Now, it doesn't say children obey your mom and dad when they say, cut that out or, or, or stop that or, or don't make me tell you again. Don't, don't, make, don't make me count. Uh, one. <laughs> Two. Don't look at me like that. Two and a quarter. Right, some of our kids were learning like fractions at a very young age because <laughs> we, were, we were breaking it down. We were breaking it down. We were counting at them. Guys, just part of our parenting philosophy again, we just, Sean and I just decided, we, we were like, man, I refuse to count at our children. We are not going to be counting. Not going to, not no, not counting. We expect first-time obedience. Why? Because God expects that of us. He expects that of us. And so we expect it of our children. And not only do we expect outward obedience, but we expect inward obedience because the Bible is very clear. Jesus brought that right into the light, that it's inward obedience that he's looking for as well. It says, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without what? Complaining and arguing. Why is this so important? I heard somebody say once, we need to discipline more for attitude than we do for action. Not only does outward obedience matter, but so does inward obedience. And sometimes I think that we need to discipline more for inward obedience, for attitude, than we do for, for outward. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But here's the way I've seen so many households run. Dad comes home from work. Little Timmy, sorry if you've got a kid named Timmy, I'm not picking on him. <laughs> Little Timmy's on the Xbox. But mom is upset at him. So dad comes home, and mama tells dad, and dad comes in. Little Timmy, turn off your game. I need to talk to you for a minute. Little Timmy ignores him. 
Little Timmy, turn off the Xbox. I need to talk to you. Oh, Dad, I'm playing right now. I just, Timmy, pause it. I got to talk to you. He's like, whatever. Oh, fine. What? What? Heard you were back talking and disrespecting your mom today. No, I wasn't. No. I heard that you were. I know that you are. No, I was not. She was just beating to me. Don't talk back to me. Just fess up. And go, I wouldn't do it. I didn't do anything wrong. You don't know what she did to me. I, look, if you keep talking to me in that manner, you're going up to your room. Do you understand? I didn't do anything. What am I doing wrong? I'm just defending myself. Yeah, okay, get to your room right now. I'm not going to our room. I didn't do anything wrong. You better get to your room right now. You're going to lose your Xbox for the next month. And he's like, whatever. And he storms off, bam, 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 up the stairs and slams the door. At which point, dad sits down in the recliner and goes, showed him who's boss. <laughs> yeah. What you did is you somehow maybe got outward obedience. Maybe. But there is a rebellion, an inward obedience that needs to be dealt with. We discipline as much for attitude as we do for action because here's the thing, guys. The Bible is clear that when the attitude is right, the action will follow. We went through Ephesians last year. Guys, it's the inside. Remember we talked about that? Input and output. It's what's on the inside that affects what comes out of us. We discipline for attitude. And then we'll see the action. We discipline and expect first time and cheerful obedience. My son better stop texting me about online games. Stop it. You, you couldn't pause me. It was an online game. Man, be quiet, bro. <laughs> Send a message to my iPad. Secondly, number two, number two, discipline yourself to never bring correction out of anger. Discipline yourself, never bring correction on anger. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. You know what that means? That means you're going to be angry. As a matter of fact, that's saying that it's not a sin to be angry. Right? It says, in your anger, don't sin. God's saying, you're going to be angry at times. Not just with your kids. I mean, there's a lot of situations in life, right? You're going to be angry sometimes. But don't sin. Don't allow your anger to lead you down a path to sin. Now, when it comes to our kids, sometimes this is easier said than done. Especially when you got all the kids packed up in the back of the station wagon on a trip, right? Have you ever been there? In your minivan, right? Heading down the road. He touched me. She threw a goldfish at me. He crossed the line. She has my toy. He's breathing too loud. She's singing. It's like, stop. Stop. Drive you nuts. How many of you been there before? Yeah. You can just lose it. Guys, we used to, we would, we, we, we would drive multiple times, a couple times a year, we'd drive to Houston, go see Shauna's family. That's a 10-hour drive, guys. And the kids were little, and Lord have mercy, we got to where we were driving. We, we wouldn't leave town until 9 or 10 p.m. It's like, keep them up all day. No, no naps, no naps. Normally, you're trying to force them to nap. It's like, no naps, no naps. You cannot nap. You're up all day today, and 9 or 10 o'clock, they're conked out in the back of the minivan. You're like, Traveling in peace, 10 hours, booking it, to, booking, it to, booking it to Texas. Somebody wakes up, usually Aaron, wake up, got to pee. It's like, oh, 
man, dadgummit. And so we're not stopping at no love station. We pull over on the side of the interstate at 2 in the morning. And I, I don't know how many times Sean opened a sliding door and hold them out and be like, just go. Just go. And, and, and get them back in and be like, don't wake up your sisters. And Shauna, <laughs> Shauna got known for her pinching skills. Her arm would reach back and, whoa, her arm would reach back and start waving around and pinching everything that her hand came in contact with, pinching hard, pulling off skin, uh, arms and legs flailing behind us. It was good times. It was good times. But guys, that brings me to, to, to a controversial topic because remember, our point here is that in your discipline, you never discipline out of anger or rage. And this brings us to a very controversial topic when we, when we talk about discipline. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to lay it out there. Guys, in our house, we spanked. And, and look, I, I know that that's not a politically correct stance to take today. I know that. But we stand by the fact that it is a biblically correct stance. And, um, and so I believe that it is one of many effective forms of discipline. And so, uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, Lauren got quite a few when she was younger. She, she was a biter and, <laughs> and still a problem sometimes, but we drove a lot of that out early on in the first half decade of her life. Um, Madison might have got one or two. Uh, it's probably, I, I think at one point, I remember one time, I think it was for lying, and it was always hard because she'd give you these eyes. But, you know, <laughs> You just, you, just, you just said, I mean, you just started to get onto it just, just with your words. She, she's just tearing up. I mean, it's like, you're like, oh, I mean, a spanking from Madison is probably like a little, you know, okay. You know. But, but for her, I think it was because of a lie. Because our, our kids knew if you lie, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the situation. There's no need for excuses and whatever else. Lying is an abomination to the Lord. It's something that we do not do. A lying, lie is an automatic spanking. Automatic, automatic. And so I think that was the one, one or two times maybe that Madison as a little kid uh, got, got swatted, uh, you know, as, as a kid. Aaron? <laughs> For his own health and safety, <laughs> I think we put a limit of three or less a day. <laughs> and now he says, no, you didn't. <laughs> Now, guys, listen, listen to me, because there's probably a few folks here that are kind of freaking out, and listen, we had a philosophy even when it came to this. Um, I, here's my view personally, and, and when it came to our children and my view, my view, I, I, I don't, I personally don't like it. I don't think it's real appropriate after, by the time they're 12, 13 years old, because I, I, we worked with young people long enough to know by that point they're young adults, and, and it usually does more humiliating, brings more humiliation than anything else. And plus, by that age, there are usually more effective means of discipline that will, that will affect them, um, you know, and, and bring, con you know, consequences that are more effective than that by the time they're aged. But no, no we, we didn't use our hand or, you know, and, and stuff like that. And actually, I told our community group, I'll tell you exactly what we used. Um, uh, Y'all know that years ago, Sean and I, we were youth pastors in a church in Illinois, and we, we, um, we directed a kids camp for, for several years. And it was at this retreat center. It wasn't a retreat center. That was an old school, uh, old school camp out in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. And um, 
on the last day of camp, we would always do canoe races. And we broke them up by, um, by age and, you know, divisions and stuff and the counselors. And, and we put a big buoy out in the water and we'd have these canoe races. And, and so we needed a trophy. And so we had this guy in the church who worked with wood. And I had him design this beautifully handcrafted uh, wooden canoe paddle. And, and we would silk screen. We made the blade on it. Uh, I didn't want it yet. No. <laughs> we, we made the blade a little bit bigger so we could put the name of the camp and the year and the logo. We'd silk screen on it, and all the kids wanted it. They were like, they wanted those paddles so bad. And they got home from camp with the paddles they won, and their parents see it, and they're like, huh. <laughs> and... Um, and usually, and, and because we directed and we had them made, we usually had extras and we'd have parents come and going, can I get one of them? And, and so, um, so, yeah, that's, uh, you can put it up. That, 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 that's the, the one that was left over from, as you can see, Kids Camp 1999 that we had left over. Uh, Matt, Lauren says that's a crack and that was from her butt is what she says. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I, I pulled that out of my drawer a couple of days ago and took a picture of it. All right, you can take that down. Um, but guys, we did, listen, listen. Part of our philosophy, even in this, in discipline, when we did use spanking, um, we tried to make sure that they were never embarrassed or humiliated. We didn't do it down the aisle at Walmart. Didn't do it in the line at Kroger. We didn't do it in front of their siblings. Usually it wasn't even in front of the other parent. It was a personal thing between that parent and the child that was taken care of. But many times we didn't spank. Many times they would lose a privilege or have an added responsibility or something like that. But whatever it was, it was... It was done out of love, and, and, and we, we, we tried, guys. We tried to make sure that it was not done in anger. And, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we, we're a huggy family. We're together. We hug each hug multiple times a day, and, and even after spanking, we would, we would still be hugging. And, and, and I just want to say this. If the Bible says to do it, then I would tell you, that you cannot harm your child if it is done properly, if it is motivated by love, and if it is based on the word of God. Done properly, you will not harm your child. Now, some of you out there going, the pastors abuse their kids, I can't believe it. And guys, look, like I said, I know it's not politically accurate, politically correct, but it, the argument against spanking today is that it develops angry, rebellious, violent kids. Kids who are spanked end up angry, rebellious, and violent. As I'm in my late 40s, and when I was a kid, if you acted up in school, the teacher pulled out a paddle or sent you to somebody that had one, and sometimes it had holes drilled in it, and they would wear your tail out until you were singing soprano. <laughs> right? And the next generation didn't do that. It ended pretty abruptly. But if that is true, that spanking develops angry, rebellious, violent kids, then we should right now be observing the most compliant, peace-loving, gentle generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth. And it's not the case. Things did not get better when appropriate spanking was taken off the, taken off the table. I would argue that it's worse than ever. Now look, I want to say this too before I hit the last point. I understand that there were some of you that were punished out of anger. There were some of you that were punished out of rage, and it was borderline, if not all-out abuse. It was then, and it still is, and always will be wrong. Totally wrong. I, I, I understand your hesitancy in spanking your child, but you are not your mom or dad or the person that abused you. 
And you don't have to be like that, and you can discipline the way that God instructed. And it is, just to reiterate, it is never, ever okay to strike or hit your child in any way out of anger or rage. Never, ever, ever. If you've done that, you need to repent before God, and you need to repent to your children, and it may be that you need to get some help, honestly. So I just believe that one day we're going to answer to God for how we raised our kids, and I don't want to be one that stands before God sorry that I harmed one of his little ones out of rage. So, uh, so anyway, we, were, we expect cheerful obedience the first time. Secondly, we never discipline out of anger. Number three, last thing, we bring correction promptly with instruction, expectation, and reconciliation. Instruction, expectation, reconciliation. Now, let me show this to you. Y'all know Ephesians 6, 4, and it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Guys, correction, correcting your child, bring discipline, is not about punishing them. That's not what it's about. It may be a component of the discipline, but that's not what it's for. We're not there just to deliver punishments. What's it say? It says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So one of the first things we need to do when it comes to that moment when we're disciplining our child is we ask them, okay, firstly, I need you to tell me what did you do wrong? We need to make sure they understand what they did wrong. We need to make sure that they, because he, uh, well, my sister came and she took my Xbox controller and so I hit her in the head of my cup because that's what she deserved. You're like, no, we don't hit. So now tell me, what did you do wrong? Well, my sister, nope. Well, tell me about your sister. What did you do? What did you do wrong in this situation? The usual automatic answer is, it's not my fault. She, no, nope. We're talking about you. What did you do wrong? We need you to own your part in this. We bring them to this place of understanding and admitting and confessing their sin. How will you handle this better next time? Let, let me help you. Let me give you some instruction on how to handle this better next time. And let them know, I expect, I expect better. I expect better next time this happens. Clear expectations, clear instruction, future expectation. Then you bring them to this place of repentance and reconciliation. We help them to make things right with those that are involved in whatever has happened. And we help them to understand that we forgive them. You did wrong. You've owned that. But we're taking care of that right now. This is what your consequence is going to be. However, know that I forgive you. And then maybe... Once it's all done with, you hug them, maybe you kiss them, maybe you pray with them, you go on about your day, and you try not to bring it up again, because God doesn't. He doesn't for us when we ask forgiveness. We don't keep throwing it back up in their face. We don't hold it against them. It ends. What does this do? This plants within our child an understanding of what happened at the cross, the work of the cross. And, and what our relationship with the Lord looks like. They start to understand, and maybe, even it's, maybe it's even more intuitive at first, but they begin to understand that there is a consequence for sin. And as they grow up, as they get older, they'll begin to understand that Jesus paid the price for their sin, took the punishment for their sin. When they're old enough, they'll understand that God has forgiven them because justice has been appeased. And they weren't the one who had to do it. Jesus did it for them.
And it teaches our children the principles of God's kingdom that maybe they don't understand at first. But one day they're going to be able to say, yes, I am saved by grace because of the price that Jesus paid for me. And they won't take their salvation for granted. Why? Because for the rest of their life they're going to be devoted to serving the one who gave his life for them. Amen? We've got to model godly discipline. In closing, I was thinking yesterday about... um, Proverbs 19, 18, and we, we read it a few minutes ago. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Guys, sometimes it is a life or death situation. I heard a story of this guy was talking about um, walking through a parking lot, uh, walking to his car, all these cars parked here. He's walking along, and his little three or four-year-old girl was running along right in, in front of him, was running along toward the car, when all of a sudden he saw reverse lights come on in a car quickly, start to jump out of a space. And he immediately yelled, stop! And she stopped dead in her tracks as the car went right in front of her because it never saw her. What would have happened if that dad had had to start counting? One, two, we expect cheerful obedience the first time. And that's just an example as a kid. Actually, Y'all had an issue when um, my brother Joshua was younger. Y'all were in a store, if I remember correctly, and uh, dad thought that Joshua was mom. Mom thought Joshua was dad. Y'all came together. Where's Joshua? Thought you had him. Thought you had him. And then y'all scoured the store, and then you looked off in the distance and saw him going out the door holding the hand of some strange man. Yelled for him. He turned around, let go, came running back. Yikes. We got to teach our kids discipline. We got to teach them authority and submission. It's so important. And it's not something we do to them. It's something we do for them. It is a gift that we give them. Because we want to love them toward righteousness and knowing and serving Jesus. It will prepare them for the realities of this life and teach them what it means to be a child of God. We must bring discipline, godly discipline, correction motivated by love. Amen? Y'all stand up on your feet. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we close. First and foremost, let me just get you guys to bow your heads. And I, I, I want to give an invitation. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, guys, you've got a heavenly father that loves you so much. I don't know what your earthly father, if you had a good earthly father in your life, but if not, you have a heavenly father that will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you desperately. So much so that he sent his only begotten son to give his life for you, to restore relationship. And if that relationship has not been restored in your life, if you know that you have not bowed your knee to the lordship of Jesus, if you know your relationship with the father is not what it should be, I want to invite you today to make a change. Don't wait, don't wait another moment. Make things right in your life. The Bible says it, it, it's all because of sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It seemed like all was lost and it was hopeless. And it's true, there was nothing we could do. We were utterly bankrupt. There was no way that justice could ever be appeased by anything that we as human beings did. And so Jesus steps down from heaven, takes on human flesh so that he 
could be one of us because a human being had to pay the price. And he gave his life up for you. The price that you paid, the consequence of your sin, Jesus took it. He said, I'll do it. I'll pay it. He looked at you and he said, they're worth it. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you say yes to Jesus, he takes everything that you deserve, (laughs) which ain't good, folks. (laughs) We don't deserve anything good in this life. He takes all that junk, and instead he gives us everything that he deserves. That's why we call it the great exchange. I implore you today, repent. Confess your sin, cry out to God. Repent, turn from it. And choose to receive Jesus as your spotless lamb, as your savior. And everything changes. You're still gonna have to live in this world, but you're gonna have purpose. You're going to step into a mission that you never knew that you had before. You're going to have a satisfaction within you and a joy and a peace that you've never known. And yeah, it's going to be tough sometimes. And you may trip along the way, but he's going to be there. He's going to have your hand in his and he's going to pick you up. And he's going to encourage you. And he's going to say, let's keep going. Keep going. You've got it. We've got it together. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you recognize right now in this moment that he's not first in your life, that your life is being led right now by your own selfish desires and wants, and that he's not even on the radar, then I encourage you right now to surrender your life to him. I'm going to pray a prayer, and and guys, you can repeat after me, or you, you can say your own words. It doesn't matter to me because this is between you and the Lord. This is between you and him. I encourage you today to repent. Turn from your old way of living. Lay it all at his feet. And choose to follow Jesus all the days of your life. Just say something like this. Just say, Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am bankrupt. I'm lost in my sin and my shame and my guilt. I thought I have known what was best for my life for so long but I'm at an utter loss. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin. I I just, I repent today and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash away my sin. Make me white as snow like the Bible says. I choose not to go back to it, but I choose to follow you. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I'll follow you all the days of my life. And just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me, that I can be everything you've called me to be. No turning back. I'll follow you to the end in Jesus' name. If you prayed that, We're going to have prayer partners down in just a minute, and I'm going to invite you to come down when we close and talk to one of them. I want you to tell them. Don't don't walk out of this place without telling somebody. Tell somebody. Let them pray with you. If you need a Bible, let us get you a Bible. If you want to be water baptized, we'll get you scheduled to be water baptized. 
You made the best decision that you can ever make in this life. Guys, with that said, actually, just bow your heads again for just a moment. We've been talking about parenthood. How would you characterize your life right now as you're a parent whether biological or, or spiritual parent or, or whether you're just leading and, and guiding and, and mentoring some people. How is your own personal discipline right now? Are you that, 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 that one that always tries to, to rescue them from their consequences? Are you one that's always inconsistent? Are you one that's not walking in unity maybe with your spouse? I just invite you to repent here for just a moment. Just say, Lord, forgive me. And just invite the Lord to begin to show you those areas where you can be more effective, more disciplined in your parenting. And what is God showing you about discipline? Are you expecting cheerful first-time obedience in your home? Are you making sure that you're not disciplining out of anger or rage? Are you offering instruction and reconciliation? What does God need to help you to change in your life so that you can bring better discipline to your children and those around you that he's called you to lead? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this place. And as I've said the last couple weeks, I rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name to try and bring condemnation. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us today to make a change. Every day to make a change and look more like Jesus in every area of our life, including our parenting. I thank you, Lord, that you are the prime example of what it means to be a parent. And Lord, we want to look just like you. As we recognize that you have entrusted our children and those that we are leading, you have entrusted them to us to steward, to raise in the ways of the Lord. And Lord, the biggest thing we want more than anything is that they're no longer dependent on us, but completely and wholly and totally dependent upon you, God. Help us to lead as you would have us lead in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You